podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear Richard Phillips teach on how to relate justification and sanctification in our fight towards holiness. Dr. Phillips is an ordained minister who currently serves as senior minister at Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen to Dr. Phillips as he speaks on the Gospel Imperative. As we consider the relationship between justification and sanctification, the challenge is not to find a biblical text that refers to it, but to sift through the many texts that would serve the topic. I think, for instance, of Paul's great statement in 1 Corinthians 1.30, where he places the whole of our salvation in Jesus Christ, saying that he became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Or we think of Jesus' summary of the gospel in Luke's Great Commission, where he combines justification and sanctification when he says that we are to declare repentance and forgiveness of sins to, in his name to all nations. You will find the same emphasis on both justification and sanctification in the apostles' preaching in the book of Acts. Peter said God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So there's a great number of passages that are relating justification and sanctification or at least the content that we'll associate with them. Now you'll find a similar combination of justification and sanctification in the Pauline letters. I think of Galatians 5 where Paul so ferociously defends justification, but then he goes on to show the necessity of that justification being joined to sanctification. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're we're into sanctification. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, commonly you'll hear that you have a a Paul versus James debate when it comes to faith and works and justification and sanctification. In fact, they're giving different perspectives of the same doctrine. But you have that, if if that debate exists, you have a Paul versus Paul debate. And people will go, we don't want James, we want Paul. Oh, do you want Paul? Because Paul is going to relate them in a very organic way. He's going to insist upon justification together with sanctification. And so that's what we'll find in all of these and many other texts where the gospel in its fully biblical sense is not merely justification. One tendency today is that gospel equals justification. And that is not a biblically robust or accurate way of speaking. We talk about being gospel-centered, and often that means that we're going to declare every text of the Bible to relate only to justification. But the good news of Jesus Christ is not merely forensic. Thank God that it is forensic. Uh, But it is not merely forensic. It is also transformational. There is justification and there is sanctification. I like to say, what good news it is for me 
that my sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ and that I stand before God in the imputed righteousness of Christ received through faith alone. Thank God for that good news. But it is, even, it is also good news that I have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me so that while I am going to continue sin, it is no longer because I must sin. I have now have the power of Christ working in me to sanctification. My friends, that is both good news. And the gospel does not, the gospel equals justification, period, is not a biblically robust or balanced, or I dare say acceptable definition of the gospel. Now, when I'm rummaging around for a good text to speak from, the one that I end up on, however, is uh, what I think is one of the greatest statements of the gospel of the, new, of the covenant of grace, the new covenant in Christ, that comes from the lips of the prophet Jeremiah as he is grieving in the context of the ruin of the Old Covenant. Literally, Jerusalem is burning, and God gives to him the New Covenant promise. The Old Covenant had failed because of sin, but there was good news of a New Covenant. There was a gospel message, and God gave Jeremiah the words to define it. And years later, of course, the writer of Hebrews would take up that expression, that, that construction as he reminded his Jewish Christian readers of that same gospel new covenant promise. Now, uh, he tells us what the purpose of God's salvation is. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The new covenant sees the aims of the old covenant being achieved. God's uh, eternal covenant purpose. I will be their God and they will be my people. But how will he do that? And the answer is one that combines justification and sanctification. Hebrews 8, 10 to 12, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I think that text is helpful in noting the biblical relationship between these two sides or aspects of salvation. And so I want to do today is I want to uh, make four points, starting with that passage, in relating justification. And I will try along the way to note some applications for how we understand and how we preach the gospel. Well, the first thing I think we should note from Hebrews 8, 10 to 12, along with other gospel summaries, is how it prevents justification and sanctification as distinct and different aspects of salvation. When we're going to talk about relating them, first we need to realize that they are not the same thing. They are distinct and different aspects of salvation. Jeremiah makes two statements about the gospel of the new covenant separated by the great covenant promise that God will be our God. Interestingly, the first statement he makes about the new covenant, about the gospel, pertains to sanctification, the inward renewal of the sinner in holiness. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Hebrews 8.10. And then the second aspect of salvation pertains to the forgiveness of sin that lies at the heart of justification. I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. And so there is justification, which has a forensic, a legal focus of the matter that must be dealt with in the case of us sinners who have violated God's law. But then on the other hand, there is sanctification, and it is different. It is a moral, it is a spiritual, it is a transformational matter, whereby the corrupting power of sin is countered by an inward transforming work in our lives as God's people. Now, neither Jeremiah nor the writer of Hebrews, who quotes him, says that salvation involves a singular work of God that is mushed together, as it were. Rather, he sees it as a saving duplex that pertains to the twin problem of sin, namely one legal, the guilt of our sin, but the other spiritual, that is the corruption of the power of sin in our lives. And so... The biblical presentation of the gospel involves two aspects, and they are different. Now, let me just say that that observation has the most profound implications for how we understand and preach the gospel. 
It means, first, that in order to understand justification rightly, we must distinguish it from sanctification. What a great error it is, and it's a real error, for us to preach justification uh, as if it was uh, on the same terms as sanctification, for us to conflate justification into our sanctification. Now that has crippled many believers. Many of you will have grown up in churches, I know you will have, where you thought your relationship with God depended upon how you performed. Uh, and even day to day, it's a very common thing, a performance Christianity with all its poisonous effects in our spiritual existence. We are not to base our relationship with God on our own performance, but rather on the performance of Christ. Interestingly, in my family devotions, I have five children, 17 to to 10, and we've been going through Galatians in our morning devotions. And yesterday before I left, I was in Galatians 3, and I was talking to my little girls and to my sons and uh, making clear to them that, uh, the way I like to put it is, you are justified through faith alone, which means you're justified by the works of Jesus. We are justified by works. You're justified by works alone. But you just don't do the works. Jesus did the works. His active obedience and perfectly fulfilling the law on your behalf. His passive obedience, bearing the righteous wrath of God upon your sins. Uh, We are justified by his perfect work, which we, we receive through faith alone. And what a tragedy it is, existentially, for us to forget that. And we do forget it. We do forget that. What One question I like to ask as a pastor when I'm dealing with someone is I will say, how do you think that you stand before God? And usually the reason the person is counseling with me is something's going wrong in his or her life. I mean, I think people do like to chat with me, but they, they, when they come into my office, usually there's some problem in their life, there's some failure, some advice, and so usually they're not thinking, thinking very highly of themselves. And so I'll say, what do you think God's attitude towards you is right now? And how often, in fact, I will say in the great majority of cases, among evangelical Christians, they will say, well, God's pretty disgusted with me. God God doesn't want to, God wants me out of his sight. God loathes me. Now, there is, of course, a, a great truth that we can, be, we can be children of God who are displeasing to the Lord. Uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But, but I'm talking about our fundamental standing and how important it is that we, day to day, and that the Christians we're dealing with be reminded, and, and by, I think this is the right use of the expression, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach justification to yourself every day. Live out your justification day by day. That is important because we do have a, 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 a persistent legalism and particularly when we think we've been doing poorly we're feeling bad about ourselves we tend to think that god is against us how how often as pastors you have this too i'll have to say to someone god is not the problem god's the answer the problem is that is not out to get you you are justified in christ oh but i'm such a loathsome person and christ bore that in your clothes and his righteous 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 uh, his perfect righteousness imputed to you through faith alone we must uphold that doctrine of justification through faith alone that is not conflated with sanctification. The, the role of works in my, ex, my legal acceptance with God is the place taken by the work of Jesus Christ. And I receive that work through faith alone. And so that practical legalism, with all of its devastating consequences, must be countered by a biblical doctrine of justification through faith alone, the imputed righteousness of Christ, that that is distinct from the doctrine of sanctification. Every day we must base our acceptance with God, not on any merit we are earning, but only on the righteousness of Christ received through faith alone. And until Christians realize that justification is not based on sanctification, we are never going to live with the power and joy to which we are called. Now, let me quote Ron Lutz and John Yenchko in an article commending sonship theology where they remind us that that the daily experience of freedom and joy that ought to characterize a Christian's life requires us never to forget our total dependence on the grace of justification in the finished work of Christ. Here's what they say, citing Archibald Alexander. 
When we do not rest in the sufficiency of our justification in Christ, the only alternative is various forms of self-justification. Well, representing those who are concerned for sanctification, let me say amen. We do not have a quarrel over how justification is preached. We do not represent those who are worried about, are concerned about the implications of the biblical doctrine of justification through faith alone. We love it just as much as you do because it's our own hope. It's the only basis we have of acceptance and standing with God. Uh, we, without justification, uh, isolated from sanctification, there will always be petty good works, religious service, sacramental rituals that in fact are not sufficient to justify the sinner before God. Let us insist that justification is separate from sanctification. But then let's realize that the converse is also true. Because there's an opposite problem that is troubling in a different way, and that is the conflating of sanctification into justification. And I think this problem, while maybe not as serious in its implication, it certainly is at least as common today in reform circles. There's an overreaction to the corruption of justification so that we essentially abolish sanctification as a biblical category and mandate as if sanctification, straight up, biblical sanctification, just as it's taught in the Bible, as if that was some threat to our well-being. Just as we must see justification as being distinct from from sanctification, so sanctification is distinct from justification. Now, This is the problem when we take that language that we rightly use about justification and we apply it to sanctification. Sanctification is living out your justification day by day. No, it is not. That is the conflation, the the denigration of sanctification into justification. Uh, That counsel is helpful when it comes to justification. But it is harmful as an error as we substitute uh, the good feelings of justification as, the, as a substitute for the reality of sanctification. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was right to urge us to preach justification to ourselves every day, but then he was just as insistent in urging the hard and active work of sanctification. Yes, we are to live before God, enjoying his favor only on the basis of the finished work of Christ, his imputed righteousness received through faith. But then motivated by the grace of God, we are to apply ourselves to the hard work of sanctification. Paul's great application at the beginning of Romans 12 was not an appeal merely to revel in our justification, but rather it was an urgent call to the discipline and devotion of sanctification. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now Paul said this because the gospel hope expressed by Jeremiah and in Hebrews 8 states that we will be God's people both as he justifies us and as he sanctifies us. The result is that unlike the Israelites of old, we will be covenant keepers through a living faith in Jesus Christ. That's my first point, that justification and sanctification are distinct. They are not to be conflated one into another. Now secondly, we need to note that they are inseparable. Justification and sanctification are distinct, but they are inseparable aspects of salvation. And we need to note that as well. They are equally necessary parts of the gospel and of Christ's saving work. And Hebrews 8 summary reminds us, of course, that it's all by grace. It's God's saving work. Uh, It is not primarily our work. But then he defines his work in salvation in terms of a combination, distinct but 
inseparable relationship of sanctification and justification. There will be inward renewal. There will be the writing of the law upon the mind and on the heart. There will be a sanctification in accordance with the law of God and the character of God. And there will be the forgiveness of sin and justification. Both of them take place and they must be together. We cannot have one without the other. Why? Because it is God's intention in the new covenant to achieve both justification and sanctification. Now this means that justification and sanctification are equally necessary to the believer's salvation. Uh, People get upset when you talk about the necessity of works. Uh, We want to make a distinction. I like to put it this way. Uh, 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 Works are not necessary as a cause, a prior condition of my salvation, but they are most definitely necessary as a consequence of my salvation. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us. Uh, Justification is necessary as a condition of our standing with God. Sanctification is necessary as a consequence of our standing with God. Now, to be saved requires both. If you have one without the other, you are invalidating your claim to salvation. People will come to you. I, I, it's happened to me a few times, not a lot, where someone comes to me. I actually had a young man, this was 15 years ago, came to me and said, Pastor Phillips, uh, my theology is impeccable. I already knew I had a problem. Uh, you know, this was not going to go well. Uh, I believe everything I'm supposed to believe. All five points, no, none of this four and a half business, uh, the solas, the reformation, ordo salutis, I, I, I but, uh, but, I, I, but he says, but I have no love for God in my heart. My life hasn't changed. I've been a Christian 15 years. Obviously, this is a person who spent a lot of time on the Internet. But, uh, the, uh, and nothing, really, I said, look, I, I, I know you a bit, but you're describing yourself to me. I'm just going with your description to me. You tell me that you have not changed. There's no holiness in your life. Do you have the desire? Do you find an inward burden for holiness? No. And he says to me, is that Okay. And I said, by your definition, you are not a Christian. It is not possible to be a Christian without having justification and sanctification going on in your life at the same time. They are inseparable and they are necessary, both of them. Now, I think in in light of this inseparability, we must avoid the current tendency, I already mentioned it, in defining the gospel only in terms of justification. The good news is the coming of Jesus Christ as Savior, and Christ as Savior brings both justification and sanctification to his people in keeping with the new covenant promise. The gospel is not exhausted by the good news of justification, but it includes the good news that he is sanctifying sinners. Uh, I put this a number of ways. The good news is not only what Christ did in the past, in the finished work of his atonement and justification, although I would not say that the atonement only relates to justification, but it's not merely what he did in the past. It's also good news what he's doing in the present. And what is Jesus doing in the present for his people? He's sanctifying them through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. His blood-bought people are being made holy. And even among those who would emphasize sanctification today, we will sometimes hear it said that we are not only saved, but we are also transformed. Now, I object to that because transformation is part of salvation. And so salvation involves inseparably justification and sanctification. This is what our Father is saying with joy. Be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Just as Adam's sin brought both the curse of condemnation through the imputation of his sin, it also brought the inward corruption of sin, so also does Christ's gospel answer uh, uh, respond to the fall effectively, both forensically and transformationally. Now, I think one way of observing the inseparability of justification and sanctification is to note the implications of saving faith. The New Testament constantly states that we are saved through faith in Christ, but faith is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And so regeneration, which we will normally associate as the beginning of sanctification, I think Calvin was helpful, 
we are born again, we are regenerated, and that has, that's going to work out all through our lives, both in terms of mortification and vivification. I'm going to be putting, sin's going to be put to death in my life as I actively work with Christ, and I'm going to be coming alive to Christ. That begins at regeneration, but at the same time, regeneration creates faith. And so we are justified by a faith that is the result of the regeneration that is also the beginning of my sanctification. There is no point in, in my saving experience where I may separate justification and sanctification because of the, the relationship between faith and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is practically a synonym for God's work of sanctification. Well, since justification and sanctification are equally necessary, they are also simultaneous. Uh, you have, uh, some of you may have been raised in uh, some circles where the sanctification is an additional add-on. You, you're saved through faith alone, and then sometime later you move on to sanctification. When I was uh, preaching through Hebrews, I, I read Andrew Murray, and I, in my Hebrews commentary I quote Andrew Murray because he's just, you can't not quote him. But there are certain passages in Hebrews 10 where, he's, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about the, the inner room and the outer room. And, and Murray says, oh, you see, we're, the, the new convert's in the outer room. He's justified. And then later on, he moves into the inner room. There's a sanctification then. This I, did, I only quoted this in a negative way. Uh, that is not to be commended. Justification and sanctification are not only inseparable, they are simultaneous. Well, therefore, that being the case, our attitude towards justification and sanctification should be mutually reinforcing. What do I mean by that? Well, as I am exerting myself towards holiness, I'm constantly being reminded of my sinfulness. And therefore, I turn to my justification, which is all the more important to me, it becomes all the more precious to me as I am engaging in sanctification because my sanctification is making me more and more aware of my sin. You do know that as you grow as a Christian. You, you all know this. Uh, you, do not become, you, do not, you do not think better of yourself as you go along. You think worse of yourself. I had no idea what a sinner I was a few years ago, and I, I still have no idea of what a sinner I am. I'm going to find out as I engage in sanctification, my need for justification through faith alone is made all the more clear to me, and it assists me in that way. Any emphasis on sanctification, let me just say this, any emphasis on sanctification that sees our good works and our moral improvement as the ground of our standing with God is a violation of both the law and the gospel. It should never be the case as we're growing in godliness. And surely we are. I, I, I often say, I look back on the man I was 10 years ago, I'm a little embarrassed of him. And I look forward 10 years from now, looking back on the man I am now and being a little embarrassed of him. Uh, it is not possible to be a Christian over a period of time and not to be experiencing change and growth. But, but that's not a source of pride for me. That does not make me say, well, of course God loves me. I, I'm righteous. Look at my behavior. No, as a, uh, in fact, sanctification makes me all the more aware of my need for the truth of justification. L let me say, that's one of my great concerns with federal vision theology. They are combating antinomianism with a sacramental legalism. I was stunned the first time I heard the federal vision people say, and I heard it in person, uh, people said, well, you need to deal with this firsthand. I have dealt with it firsthand. We are righteous. We expect to get credit for it before God. That was chilling to me. My pursuit of sanctification ought to cause me to treasure justification all the more, but the converse is also true. My attitude towards justification should serve a culture that promotes holiness. You know, one of the problems I see today with the, I, I, I hear it called the contemporary grace movement, I object to grace being the label for something that denigrates sanctification. And, I, and people will say, you'll often see that an emphasis on justification and, and uh, apart from sanctification creates a culture where we almost revel in our sinfulness. Uh, you probably had experiences. You're, you're, if, you say, if you say to someone, you know, Psalm 1 says, if you devote yourself to the law of the Lord, to the word of God, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. You'll grow strong and you'll bear fruit in your season. And people will go, oh, dude. That always begins with dude. Dude, you're being so inauthentic. You're being legalistic, you're being... Pro that's Christianity. And you see, a real appreciation of justification says, you know, we see the significance of God dealing with our sins. 
so serious is with God with the legal issue of my sin that he surely is not going to leave me in it. You know, Paul's argument in Romans 6.1, uh, is, which, which says, uh, since grace abounds over sin, should we not therefore revel in sin? That's being used to excuse and to, to mob- motivate an anti-sanctification doctrine. See, Paul's being accused of being an antinomian. You should be accused of being an antinomian too. That's what's going on. No, no. Paul's argument is that the antinomian thought should not even occur to a Christian. That we should not rejoice in being thought to be an antinomian. We should be horrified that we should be thought to be an antinomian. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? And so our attitude towards justification ought to motivate us to holiness. And our understanding of sanctification ought to make us rely for our standing with God all the more fervently on justification. You know, Calvin said that justification is the hinge on which the door of salvation turns. Amen. But let's turn the door. A door does not exist for you to stand in it, looking at it, and reveling in it, as if that was the whole of your experience. You are to turn the door, and we are to enter into the life of increasing holiness. Any attitude, therefore, towards justification that normalizes a culture of sinfulness. Isn't it great? He understands the gospel better because he's not pursuing sanctification. That is contrary to a biblical grasp of the gospel. Well, I've said two things. I've said that justification and sanctification are distinct. They're separate. But they're also inseparable. They are equally necessary and simultaneously. Third, then, how is it that we relate the two? They're distinct, but they're inseparable. How do they relate? And that vital question is answered through union with Christ in faith. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Calvin writes, By faith, therefore, we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. And so justification and sanctification relate to one another through union with Christ in faith. Let me say, I think one of the big issues today is with the question is asked, where do we locate the center of our salvation theology? Many people will say justification is the theological center of our soteriology. And I think that's a mistake that the center of our salvation theology is Christ in his person and in his work. And it is in union with Christ that we relate properly justification through and, and, uh, and, and sanctification. Now, many people are confused by the language of union with Christ, but the meaning is simply that our salvation is centered on and is located in the person and work of Christ. And through faith we are joined to Christ so that his saving benefits are imparted to us. Now this was John Calvin's emphasis in the opening paragraph of book three of his Institutes. Book three is titled, The Way in Which We Receive the Grace of Christ. And here's what we find in the opening paragraph. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. We must be joined to Christ and Christ must come into us. This happens through faith, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit who applies God's salvation to the elect. Let me quote Lane Tipton. He writes, All the saving benefits of the gospel including justification, sanctification, or adoption, are given to believers only in terms of faith union with the crucified and resurrected Christ of Scripture. And so as Hebrews 8 tells us, the gospel primarily runs in two trajectories. There are actually more things you could say, uh, and the Bible does elsewhere break out our salvation doctrine into more than two categories, but biblically there are two primarily trajectories primary trajectories, one is forensic and one is transformative. And through faith we have union with Christ so that we benefit in both ways, distinctively, inseparably, and simultaneously. Our union with Christ through faith yields justification and sanctification. Now realizing that all of salvation results from union with Christ through faith, 
makes a vitally important statement regarding this relationship between justification and sanctification. And here, I think, is where we do see a difference and a very significant difference between the Lutheran and Reformed views of uh, justification and sanctification. Uh, I, I think Lutherans and Calvinists have essentially the same doctrine of justification. Our quarrel with them would not be... And by the way, uh, Lutheranism is being used on both sides in ways that are not entirely accurate. Martin Luther is being made quite the antinomian. As Carl Truman has pointed out, after uh, 1525, Luther writes about the active portion of faith and the importance of sanctification as if he were a Calvinist, and that's always a good thing. But, but I, I think it is, it is a fair shorthand to say this, that when it comes to the relationship of justification and sanctification, the Lutherans will teach that sanctification is caused by justification. And where Calvinists teach that sanctification, like justification, results from union with Christ through faith. Let me quote Lutheran theologian John Theodore Mueller. He writes, Justification produces sanctification. Sanctification follows justification as its effect. Now that teaching is reproduced in Reformed circles today by many who would emphasize, again, justification as the center of the gospel. And you will hear it often said, in such a way that the way to get sanctification is by the preaching of justification. Uh, we constantly preach justification, and justification will cause sanctification. And so regardless of what a text actually says, we will make sure that our Christ-centered preaching means that it will, it will be used to teach justification. Some of you who have followed some of the Internet's uh, discussions on these matters saw me get into a, a discussion over 1 John 5, verses 3 to 4. And 1 John 5, 3-4 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes... Oh, it's 2 and 3. Uh, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And uh, another minister in the PCA wrote that the reason the law is not burdensome is because we don't do it. And don't ever think even though the Bible may seem to be teaching it, that you're supposed to do something in sanctification. No, no, whenever you read anything of the law, Jesus does it for you and you don't do it. And the reason it's unburdensome is because you don't do anything. You revel in justification and the fact that Jesus does it for you. And I go back and I say, well, the subject of this sentence is we. The verb is obey. And the object is his commandments. So here we have an example where there's a terror over the idea of Christian people being told that they're to do something, that their obedience matters. How many times? I've been told, Rick, you're a legalist. And I go, you know, that really bugs me. Because legalism is not a minor thing. Why would you say I'm a legalist? And they go, oh, you tell us we have to obey the Bible. Wow. The law of the Lord is good. Reviving the soul is my answer. And so here we have a text that is not teaching justification. It is teaching sanctification. John is saying that your assurance is going to be a fruit of your obedience to the law of God, and you are to do that. We see, but if we believe that justification causes sanctification, then we will preach. I've been told many times in these discussions, uh, we never mention sanctification, we preach justification, and justification will cause sanctification. Well, that is not the Reformed doctrine. Neither is it the biblical example. Um, I I think this is the doctrinal issue that accounts for so little preaching on holiness today. And even a polemical stance against Bible passages that manifestly teach our calling and duty and by grace, through faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit, our ability to pursue gospel holiness. Uh, Because we believe that justification will cause sanctification. But let's consider what the Bible says. Uh, How does the Bible itself teach sanctification? Does the Bible teach sanctification directly? Does it straight up teach sanctification? Or does it teach justification and then say, well, the, the byproduct of that will be sanctification? Well, Paul says, 
1 Corinthians 1.30, that Christ became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now these are just some of the many examples where sanctification is directly taught in the New Testament and we should be unashamed to do so. The Bible's teaching on justification and sanctification is aptly described by Calvin's term, the duplex gratia, in which union with faith, union with Christ through faith, yields the twin graces of justification and sanctification, both of which are caused by Christ. What causes sanctification? Christ causes sanctification through the Holy Spirit by the ordinary means of grace. Calvin writes, by partaking of him we receive a double grace being reconciled to God through Christ's blamelessness, we may have in heaven a judge who is our gracious Father, and secondly, that sanctified by Christ's Spirit, we may cultivate blamelessness and purity of life. And so the New Testament teaches sanctification straight up. We are to do so. Our congregation should understand the doctrine of sanctification, and we should be unashamed of pressing upon them the obligation and also the resources The whole biblical theology of sanctification is an essential part of the gospel and should be taught straight up. Uh, Now, it is true that justification is a great motive for sanctification. Uh, The whole guilt, grace, gratitude formula is, I think, one that we never want to refute. But it is false to say that the only biblical motivation of sanctification is gratitude for our justification. We have the whole gamut of reasons given in the New Testament for why should we obey God. Uh, The the apostles, frankly, speak of rewards in heaven as a motivation. Uh, There is fear of displeasing God. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We have in Hebrews 12 the teaching of of, uh, the, of God as, as a loving Father who disciplines His children. Why? That He might have a harvest of righteousness in our lives. And so there's a whole range of reasons and motivations. Justification is by no means the only legitimate one. I would say this. Biblically, the primary motive for, justific- for, for sanctification is not gratitude for justification, but the renewed heart's desire for the glory of God. That's the problem. We, we one of the things forgotten in this is the doctrine of regeneration. And the heart is renewed with a Godward inclination. And the best biblical motive is that I want to please my loving Father and my Savior and I want to glorify Him. He says, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. That's speaking of the sanctifying effects of regeneration are, the, are that which cause and drive sanctification, not the repetitive preaching of justification as if that was the only uh, motive for, for sanctification. Paul urges us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. How does God work in us? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit by means of the ordinary means of grace. The Word of God is living and active. Through prayer, the peace of God will come into our lives. We give the sacraments for the increase of our faith. And so by the ordinary means of grace, the Holy Spirit works in us, and that is what causes sanctification. Now let me say when we talk about relating in union with Christ, justification and sanctification, it's interesting that there are examples in the New Testament where even we, we tend to say justification has to be preached first. Uh, as a general locus. And then sanctification only can be preached. Now, there's a rationale for that. I do not go to my ungodly neighbor and say, why aren't you living a godly and holy life? I know why he's not living a godly and holy life. He's not regenerated. But you see, the issue is not merely the preaching of justification to that person. The issue is the preaching of Christ to that person. What we've done is, in terms of the, 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 the construction of our salvation theology and approach where the person and work of Christ is, we have put the preaching of the doctrine of justification. Well, let me say nothing that denigrates justification. I'm not trying to push it to the periphery. I am saying our message is Christ. 
crucified and raised from the dead. We preach Christ crucified. We, we declare to you the things of first importance, that Christ was raised from the dead, for our, he was crucified for our sins according with the scripture. He was buried, he was raised uh, according to the scriptures. We declare Christ. I think a great example is in John 4, where Jesus does not go to the woman by the well and say, first let's do the law work in your life, I'm not denigrating the use of the law to convict people of sin. There's numerous biblical examples of that. But what Jesus does is he brings to her himself. If you knew who it is who speaks to you and what is the gift of God, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so Jesus presents to her himself in his person and works, out of which, as that discussion goes on, in John chapter 4 will flow both justification and sanctification. Christ, in his person and work, is the center of our theology. We receive from him both justification and sanctification. Well, let me make one last point. I'd hope to have Q&A time. I'm not going to have a lot. That justification and sanctification, they're distinct. They are inseparable. They relate to one another through union with Christ, and they are both by grace and through faith. The first, fourth point. They are both by grace and through faith. For us to emphasize the Christian's calling to holiness, the importance of it, the biblical mandate to holiness, the fact that we are able to grow in godliness by the grace of God, that is not to leave the precincts of salvation by grace. No, holiness is part of the work of God's grace. One of our, if you said, what's the theme verse of the Gospel Reformation Network, it would have to be Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. For us to emphasize sanctification is not for us to downplay grace. And people will say, you see these people, these, these holiness people, they're afraid of the radical claims of grace. And, and they can't handle what grace really is. And my response is, I mean this non-combatively, really. I mean it humbly. I think to downplay sanctification is in fact the way to denigrate the grace of God. We would never want to do anything to diminish justification. We are together on that, I think. But it is the grace of God that not only justifies us, but to sanctifies us. And so to emphasize the, the good news of what God's grace does in our lives is not to be afraid to talk about grace, but to celebrate the fullness of what God's grace does in a believer's life. And so justification and sanctification are both by grace, and they are both through faith. And yet the faith functions differently. Uh, it, we, briefly, in, in justification, we call it a passive faith. We mean we are receiving and resting upon Christ alone as he's presented to us in the gospel. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I receive in justification the finished work of Christ by faith. And in sanctification, that same faith becomes active. It becomes uh, uh, something that I exercise by the grace of God and how many times you have in the New Testament active commands, pursue, fight, strive, mortify. Uh, it is faith passively receiving the grace of justification and actively laboring by the grace of God in sanctification. And so it's by grace that the whole of God's word works for justification and sanctification. You'll, you'll have it said this, that uh, we, we believe that, that, that salvation involves more than grace. It's not just that we preach promises, but we also give the rebukes of the Bible. And so it's not just grace, it's also reproofs. No, 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 that's all grace. The reason the reproofs work is because of the grace of God. Everything in the Bible functions in my life for salvation and for sanctification because the grace of God gives it efficacy in my life. That's the reason the promises comfort me and motivate me and give me a desire to glorify Him is because of the way the grace of Christ through the Holy Spirit applies in my heart. The reason why the rebukes cause me to fear God and to realize I need to get my act together or I'm going to be disciplined, and I don't want to be disciplined, I confess this, uh, is because the grace of God enlightens to it. And so the entire ministry of the Word of God, promises and commands together, 
function in our lives by the grace of God working through faith in our lives. And so pastors are well advised to follow Paul's example, teaching justification and sanctification, bringing comfort through the promises and giving straight up the rebukes and commands of the Bible. Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Well, let me conclude. Uh, As we've been thinking about justification and sanctification, at least launching from Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8, God has promised two great works in salvation in our lives. He will justify us and he will sanctify us. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will remember their sins no more. But let's not forget the great purpose to which both justification and sanctification are means and not ends. And that's the great purpose of the covenant. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is the goal, that is the aim and the end. Both justification and sanctification are means towards it. They are distinct, they are inseparable, they are simultaneous. And they result in a love union that God has promised to achieve with his elect. The Bible conceives of our marital union as that between a bride and a groom, our relationship with God. And justification and sanctification play essential roles. In our weddings, the bride comes to her husband dressed in the gleaming white of the bridal ground. And I love to point out, I think, Everyone in my church, almost they see it coming. I'm going to preach the imputed righteousness of Christ. How can I not? I have a woman dressed in a wedding dress in front of me. But let's not forget what she's been doing. She came down that aisle to offer her love, to enter into a union that would not merely be legal. And she has been, I always say when we were, uh, when we were finishing up the rehearsal the night before, uh, the wedding's at 2 o'clock, Grimson, I want you there by noon. No, no, not noon, not 1 o'clock, noon. Then I say, uh, what time are the bride's bridal party arriving? The crack of dawn. <laughs> you know, and uh, whatever the beauty potential of this female is, it's going to be realized at 2 p.m. sharp. And the amount of money and labor and sweat and blood that goes into that. And it's a picture of the desire of a bride to present herself beautifully to the one she loves. The wedding is not merely a picture of justification. It is also a picture of the Christian's great motive and the importance of sanctification. As we present ourselves to a Savior and Lord who has bought us at so great a cost to himself. Well, the entirety of this love union is God's work in us. Justification is God's work for us. Sanctification is God's work in us. By grace, through faith. And unlike the ruin of the old covenant, there will be no divorce for those who were joined to Jesus Christ in faith. He has given us a garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness, and even now He is working in us the love and affection and the beauty that is appropriate for a bride. God says, so long as we both shall live, I will be your God. And by His declaration of justification and His progressive work of sanctification, All God's people will respond in love. So long as we both shall live, we will be your people. God has promised it. He has achieved it in Christ. He is doing this work in us now, all through faith in his word. This holy love bond is becoming increasingly real in the lives of all who've been joined to Jesus Christ through faith. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.